take 43. Mark? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Take 43 podcast. My name is Drew Williams. And I am Aaron Colborn. Uh, Aaron, what happened to the uh, first 42 takes, bud? So I'm a pretty big uh, Christopher Nolan fan, and he has his new movie, Tenet, coming out. So I was trying to get tickets to go see Tenet in the theater. Uh, unfortunately, they had to be plane tickets in order to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bummer, right? Not being I miss going to the theater. That's kind of what's going on these days. Yeah, it totally is. Uh, but speaking of which, though, I want to gloat about something real quick. So way back uh, last season was like episode, I want to say six or seven, when we kind of like went into, into lockdown. Yeah, maybe even before that. Was it before that? Do we, it's, it's possible. It's hard to say. Who knows? There's really no way we could check. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> that's right. That's what they say. <laughs> so uh, we were talking when this first happened about what was going on with um, with like video on demand and, and theaters and stuff like that. And I think Universal had just put out Invisible Man right. on, on video on demand. That's kind of like the first big one. We were like, holy smokes. And there were like three other big ones that we were talking about. And I remember I said, okay, I have a prediction. One of these three huge movies, I think one of them was like Fast and Furious. Fast, and that, that got pushed. That got pushed. Invisible Man, like you mentioned. There's another like big one that I don't think has come out. I think that got pushed also. Did you make a joke about Bill and Ted 3? I may have. Yeah, I may and that's have. And Bill and Ted, that came out last Friday. Yeah, that came out on Friday, on, on which Instagram. I haven't watched yet, crazily But you're, you're talking about specifically about Mulan. Mulan, I remember saying one of these three is definitely going to end up streaming one of these huge movies and Mulan was on that list yep. and sure enough about two weeks ago uh, Disney said that Mulan was going to be on Disney Plus for right. like an extra like 20 no, uh, it's, it's $30 $30 yeah. which seems about right and like I said the to be fair, I did say the one that I suspected the least would be Mulan. Yeah, me too. Because because of Disney, I'm like, they don't need it. But I mean, the whole thing has hit them pretty hard. So I think right. financially, they're like, okay, we got to squeeze what we can out of this. Because Disney has so much money, I was like, I didn't think that Mulan would be the one that would do it. But it looks like it's Mulan is the winner. Yeah. <laughs> Mulan's the big one, first big one. I don't think they're going to make all of their money back as if no, it was a theatrical so release. I do think that they have the bones kind of to support that video on demand service. Totally. They also obviously have the platform because Disney Plus is still right. new. What's going to happen is people are going to sign up for Disney Plus just so they can spend the extra $30 on the movie. Right. Because there are some big Mulan fans out there. Right. Yeah. And what's cool about that is if you don't want to buy it for $30, I read that in if you wait until December of 2020, yep. it's going to be on there for free. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. So they'll get like the first round. They're going to get like multiple rounds. They'll get the first round of people signing up for Disney Plus with the extra $30 because like that's how they're going to do it. Yep. It's kind of weird. With, with the extra $30. So they'll get a bunch out of that. And then they're going to have a second wave of people that are just waiting to be able to watch it when it's on there for free. So that's right. a second round of signups in December. Right. So like I'm sure they've thought through this a lot and it does seem like they'll probably get quite a lot, but I'll be really interested to hear the numbers versus like what it would make otherwise because i've heard so far that everybody says that it's pretty good no i think mulan's gonna be cool um, i'm definitely gonna rent it to support them yeah. i know that a lot of money went into that production yeah. and well, it know, sounds pretty cool i guess they took out all the musical numbers and stuff and they up right. the, the fighting and stuff like that and it looks gorgeous yeah the cinematography looks so amazing. this is a filmmaking podcast i feel like it's important to touch on the filmmaking industry as a whole so that's why we did that that's right that's right what to do we want to talk about next drew all right, Aaron. So we took a couple weeks off. We, we did. That was we, nice. It was nice. We yeah. were trying to figure out kind of what was going on with season two. Obviously, we worked that out. But what did you do for those couple of weeks uh, that we had off? 
So I started working on a rewrite of an old script of mine. I started working on it around 2010 or something like that. It's called Fishtown Lights. But it was optioned by a producer several years ago. And uh, we rewrote it together. And it just it's of a topic. So it's about police brutality and vigilantism. And so I felt like I could rewrite it to be a little more relevant now. You know, things are just changing so rapidly in order to kind of keep things Current, you got to kind of keep on top of it. And this one just seems like it could be a really good opportunity to have something that's very kind of of the moment. But the point is that, you know, scripts are never really done. I thought I was done with this thing two different times. Like I finished writing it in, you know, 2012 or something like that. And then it was optioned and I rewrote it as a producer another time to be a, a fairly different script. And now I'm looking at doing it again. So yeah, the point is that scripts are never really finished. They just evolve and sometimes actually become something different and better. And I'm actually changing this a, a fair amount. Pretty much I'm taking the entire screenplay and moving that to about the first two thirds of the movie. And then the last third of the movie is going to be all brand new. Well, it's cool what you can do with time, what time does to a story. Totally. You know, and, and totally. You, you realize sometimes when you see bad movies, you're like, man, they would just give that a little bit more time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing the, the, the kind of things that after several years, it can start out being dumb. And then after several years, gains a following or gains notice or, you know, it just it can be time. Time can be very, very kind. To, well, to films. absolutely. It's like, you know, what influences that film, right? What right. current event or what right. uh, what's going on in the world that can be implemented into the film. Right. You know, right. Like I said, this is about vigilantism and, and police brutality. And honestly, no matter what side of the argument you fall on, you there's no doubt that this is a, a major a thing going on right now. And absolutely. so and just things have changed so much. Suddenly I find that this script is not really super relevant anymore. As a matter of fact, it's a little too softball on the subject because things have just become so much more intense about it that I think uh, I can write something now that'll have a little more impact. But honestly, I do kind of worry that I'll finish writing it and something else will have changed by then. Well, that's, you know? and there's a good chance scripts are never really finished, right? That's right. They're never really finished. So I wanted to talk real quick the scripts changing into something else can have some really cool effects. One of my favorite Hollywood screenwriting stories I've ever heard was about Goodwill Hunting. You know, Goodwill Hunting is, you know, Ben Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, they won an Oscar for writing it. Oh, what was it? Like 1996 or something like that. Yeah, I was in earlier. I was in kindergarten. Yeah, and so that was that was like yeah, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's like big coming out thing. That's where yeah. they started to be really be noticed by people. But the interesting thing is so they were working on the script way way earlier. The the movie is about, you know, Matt Damon who turns out to be he's a a janitor, I think at MIT, turns out to be like a mathematical genius and then um, starts going to therapy to deal with his family issues with Robin Williams. Well, the original script, Matt Damon was a janitor at MIT and turned out to be a genius at math. But then the government found out about it and recruited him to become like a super spy. Oh, so it was like more of an action, more like a born sort of movie. Sounds pretty boring, right? It's pretty boring. It sounds pretty boring. <laughs> boring. No, it, it was a little early for it, for that. Yeah, it was a little early for that. Yeah. But so then uh, William Goldman, like magical, you know, legendary screenwriter William Goldman, who did like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He did The Sting. He's he's an incredible, okay. incredible one of Hollywood's greatest uh, screenwriters ever. He came in and he said, you know, this is great and all, but people have seen this sort of thing what you need to do is focus on the character more and dig into who the characters really are and what do they want and stuff like that. And so as they dug into it, they started realizing that this character had had these, you know, family issues going way back and all this trauma and stuff like that. And then that's what the script ended up being about. And so now the script is a very, or the movie is a very human movie about dealing with your issues and stuff like that while being a genius and what, what kind of baggage comes with that, which for me is infinitely more interesting than another kind of born sort of movie. Right. Yeah. Right. That's amazing how that story evolved over time. Right. And they wouldn't have won an Oscar for the original one. No. There's no way. And they ended up coming out with, with uh, screenwriting Oscars for I it. I think that movie deserves a 
<laughs> it is a great movie. It's or like, just your knowledge on it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's just that's one of my favorite uh, Hollywood screenwriting stories. I think it's a ton of fun, and it's really it's just really cool to realize that you can write a script, you know, put it in the past. It's on your bookshelf. It can still have a life potentially. Yeah, it's There's a gr- so much that can happen. It's a great example of of what you're doing right now and updating Fishtown Lights. It's really cool. You know, it, I haven't done a whole lot of production lately, so I wanted to do something creative that can you know just be me. Keep it going. Uh, yeah, by myself. But what about you? You've been doing some production, right? Yeah, I've been trying. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy right now, for sure. No, for sure. Well, I went and visited family, and I mentioned that in um, the last episode, the last two episodes of season one. I went and visited family in Indiana for about six weeks, spent two weeks with my side of the family, spent four weeks on the lake with my wife's side of the family. It was that a, sounds nice. It, it was a blast. Yeah. In the meantime, I was able to shoot some local stuff for them, some more businessy stuff for Brooks' family. And did some, you know, some photography and things like that just to kind of just to kill some time while I'm there and make some extra bucks, which is fun. Right. But in the meantime, I filmed a music video prior to actually going to oh, the new robot dream one. Yeah, yeah yesterday yeah, yeah, yeah so we used a lot of the lighter studio lights have really cool colors it was a nice practice for for jump seat our next short film that we're going to make so i'm actually still in the editing room with that putting the final touches on it and we're in the middle of working out a little premiere it's really tricky right now to figure out a premiere right it's kind of tough yeah <laughs> yeah so we're thinking you know there's this outside venue that he djs at i want to keep it outside i don't want to be around anyone it's going to be one of those things where like Hi, I'm going to talk for five minutes. We're going to watch it and right. then I'm going to leave. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. <laughs> I just don't feel quite comfortable being around. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not quite there. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing I would love more than to go to a bar and watch some music videos and hang out with yeah. people. Uh, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not quite there. Yeah, right I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to put my, I'm going to wear my mask, obviously. I, yeah. I wear my mask everywhere I go. I have a baby on the way, my first. Oh. Ooh, I just dropped that. Yeah, I? big bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Babies are cool. Um, <laughs> so we got cool. Mason Rose Williams coming February 2021. So we're very Stay excited. Stay tuned. Yeah. yeah we're very excited premiere. for her uh, for her debut. Drew's greatest production. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been working on it a lot. Um, no. So uh, it's it, we're really excited in, in Salt Lake here. And, That's you know, cool, work man. is starting to pick back up. So things are getting insane. Yeah. I got like four jobs this past week. We are going to start That's shooting our short film Grounded. Not our short film. But right, Brandon right. Peterson from Rhino. We're going to be shooting his short film that he helped write. Uh, he'll be directing. You're going to be on set for that on Friday, I'm which be is on really set. exciting. Kind of helping out, like yeah. uh, just just kind of an extra pair of hands. Super it's exciting. Be, it'll be nice to get back on set. It's been a long time. I'm so hoping nice. it'll get us kind of back in the mode to maybe start jumping back into jump seat. It's time. Hard time, but it's time. Yeah. And it's just going to take some. We're going to have to to pivot a little bit, rework some things, figure out how to change the budget around, and yeah. figure out how we're going to do it on set and with how many people. So it, it, I, th- I think it's time to start working through that. Yeah. I, I agree. It's an exciting time in the freelance world, man. Ready to shoot those short films. Yeah, man. You know, speaking of short films, right. we could talk for probably 16 hours. Probably millions yeah. of these. I mean, yeah. we could make the longest episode ever based on the do's and don'ts of making a short film. Right. These can apply, obviously, to music videos. Uh, sure. ads, productions, little promos, but these are things that we've learned firsthand specifically. Spe- yeah. Usually by making a mistake, <laughs> always by making a mistake. And even if we are giving you the dues, it's probably because we didn't do it. Right. Um, so uh, we want you guys to be able to learn from this. And that is kind of our big topic for the day, the do's and don'ts of making a short film. All right, Aaron, I want to jump right into it right off the bat. What is something that you put on your list that is a do for you? Well, you know me, I'm Writing is a big deal to me. And I think one thing you absolutely need to do is spend extra time on your script. 
uh, to dial in your story. And the main reason is, you know, if you're doing a, a small short, a low budget, you know, shoestring sort of film, your location is probably not necessarily the most amazing thing. It might be a friend's apartment. It might even be a bar. Um, it might be a church or something, but it's probably not going to be this amazing location that you can do just all sorts of crazy stuff with. Your production quality is probably not going to be of like, you know, the top, you know, 1% of all film production. I'm sure it'll look great and everything, but all this stuff with a short film is, is it's going to come up short from what you really think is going to be in your head. And so I think the one thing you really have a lot of control over is the writing. So use that time. I mean, you can do anything you want to with the writing, right? You can't do necessarily anything you want to with your location or anything you want to uh, in terms of shooting it. You can't have whatever camera you want. You can do anything that you feel like you can pull off in the writing. And so spend extra time on that, beef up the story, make it more interesting, make it different. And that can be the thing that can really help set your film apart. If you're in kind of a, you know, not a super, if you're in a friend's apartment shooting it, um, you can sit down, they can have a conversation about a, you know, one of their girlfriends and that's great. Or you can build a narrative about, uh, you know, something one of them has done that he's hiding from the other one or something like that. Something to just make it interesting, give it some sort of a twist. And so that's where you get a little bit more buried into the story instead of the, the necessarily the locations or the way it's shot and stuff like that. People f will forgive a lot of that kind of stuff if your story's good. Kind of what you talked about that you were doing in the meantime with Fishtown Lights, you're literally revamping the script. Right. You're, you're spending more time with it. And I love the thought of you listening to someone talk or speak and you're in your head, you're trying to figure out how to mold that into your story right and your script and a, a good example of all this is is pendleton road right pendleton road we shot in literally is a small like small small one bedroom very apartment. small very small there's a million things you could have done in there and i think 999,999 of them are probably boring but we put a lot of time into the story we spent a lot of time brainstorming it together i would do a draft and kind of send it to our main team to get input from them and we just really tried to do we tried to build in some surprises into the story and sure enough i think it's actually out of the stuff we've done probably our most well liked because people are even just yesterday i heard a story about somebody new being completely fooled by this movie right and and it's shot in one bedroom or not one bedroom, sorry, one small apartment. It was like a bedroom. It was, yeah, basically. I mean, the bathroom, you couldn't fit any more in there than, than you, the director, Dave and Sasha at right. one point, you know, it's that small. The rest of the crew had to wait outside the bathroom. Our other movies have bigger, better, you know, paper cutter has bigger, better locations. Even call of the void has bigger, cooler, weirder locations. Yeah. Pendleton roads location is pretty middle of the road, but I think it's become our most successful movie. But you care Be so much about her from you the care script. so much about, it. you care about the character and you care about the situation and there's mystery. Very vulnerable. Yeah, she's and super vulnerable. You you want that character to be vulnerable because what that's going to do is that the audience is going to scream, "Don't go in there!" Yeah, right. Like you care for this person, right? Yeah, because she's so vulnerable and you like her. You get to know her. She's she's like one of us, right? right. And that's the care put into the script beforehand. One of my to dos actually feeds off that pretty well. Um, and that is just to make a detailed shot list. It doesn't need to be a long shot list. There's there's a difference between having a detailed shot list and a very long shot list. Oh, totally. Yeah, and and that is meaning don't overshoot and make a long drawn out shot list with a ton of safety takes. We did that for paper cutter and it kind of bit us in the butt with time. Yeah, we ended up getting a little bit confused. Yeah, so get the coverage in the most practical way possible, especially if you're shooting a big group, right? Right. I think that's super important because think about the character when you're reading the script, think about the emotion, think about the angles, think about the lens, think about the movement of the camera. These are all things that will help 
explain and kind of it'll accentuate also the story. It'll help tell the story, but yeah. also the character and, and the right. characters are the one telling the story. Don't ignore story, but don't think about story for a sec. Think about just the character. How can we do a low angle shot to make this person feel so much bigger? Or how can we do a high angle shot to make them feel that much smaller? Right, right. How do we take, how do we take what's inside of them and put it on the outside so we can see it? Absolutely. And then as that emotion gets evoked and we're shooting in that unique way, the character is developing the story. Right. And then if it's cohesive enough and everything looks good, then you get a good movie. Right. So it's just very important not to overdo your shot list and make it practical and make it realistic totally. um, and make it in an order in which makes sense. If you have that one actor for five hours that day, you're obviously going to shoot all of his shots. Well, let's go ahead and break that down. How many are on this rig? How many are with that lens? How many shots can we do without switching the support system for the camera? Right. Little things like that that might not even be on a shot list, you need to be thinking about the order in which the shot is being taken it's, in. It's all time. It's you know? all about time because yeah. time is money, uh, especially on a short film. Ain't that you'll, the truth. And you'll realize <laughs> time is money on any set, but time is really expensive so on a valuable. short film because your dollar is very low and sometimes you're even donating your own time, so it might not even feel like, what is time? You know, right. well, we, What is time? What man? is time? You want to get real deep? <laughs> Dude, you know what's a pain sometimes? Hmm, you tell. Hauling huge lights onto set. Oh yeah, that's like the worst. Yeah, I've tried more compact lights, but they just don't cut it when it comes to rendering true color. Plus, they're never bright enough. Mm -hmm, never. But one day, a buddy of mine from the snowboard industry asked me to check out these new lights called Lytra, oh. which promised to solve exactly that problem. They're compact, yet powerful, and with professional-grade color rendering. Nice. Nice. Now Lytra is pretty much all I ever bring to set. Compact, powerful, bi-color, RGB, Bluetooth-controlled, rugged, waterproofed, you name it, Lytra's it. That's a whole bunch of stuff. That sounds great. So you should visit our Lytra link in the description below and receive 15% off your next order from Lytra.com. I promise you these lights will completely change your approach to photo and video lighting. All right, man, I'm going to hold you to it. Yeah, and so it's funny you say, you know, don't overcomplicate your shot list, which I totally agree with. But I will say another do is do storyboard the shit out of it, though. Oh, absolutely. Because um, like you, you have said, to. time is money on a set. I mean, time is really, really valuable on a, on a short film set when, you know, you're probably borrowing stuff from people. You're using somebody's location that probably, you know, has people coming in as soon as you're done there or whatever. And so time is really important. So the best time you can spend is in pre-production. Yes. And it, right. And, and storyboarding is such a big part of that, especially for me. I mean, everybody has their own way they do things. But for me, storyboarding is the best way to visualize your film without any footage because you need to have have vision. If you're, you know, say you're the, the writer, director or just even the director, you need to have vision for your movie. If you don't have vision for your film, um, you get on set. Actors and crew will ask you questions that are not something you've necessarily thought of before. And if you if you have a vision, you probably have a good idea of how to answer that question. Absolutely. Right? But if you don't have vision, then you're like, uh, I don't know, just do whatever feels right to you that's suddenly how you start to have kind of a disjointed feeling movie when like your vision isn't kind of locked into place and other people don't understand your vision. That's also your persona for the rest of the film and in the film right. industry. If it's a local right. well, this guy, this guy doesn't really have exactly. a vision. He'll just go along and, yeah. and, and sure you can, I, I even think being a, you know, a commercial director, somebody that say just direct commercials is just a hired gun sort of director. Even then you still need to have a vision if you're going to deliver to. And so this kind of goes for commercial work as well. You need to have a vision for it or else it'll come out being multiple things. And you, you don't want that. And you know what happens if the director doesn't have the vision? What's that? It's the DP's job. Yeah. Then it starts falling on other people. And then, and then if the DP doesn't do it accurately because he didn't explain it well enough, right. Then suddenly the DP is in deep shit. So as a director, if you're not taking care of all your responsibilities, it starts to fall to other people and they 
they may, may not necessarily agree about it. So suddenly then you're having infighting on your crew as well. Right. You know, and so when you fail at those things as a director, it trickles down. That's what leadership is. And you're not doing your job right. So people under you, you start arguing about what they think you want if you don't tell them. Right. So anyway, that's a much longer answer to that <laughs> than I was expecting to say, because there's a couple other things I want to say about that. So I'm an editor first and foremost. That's kind of that was kind of the the main job that I tend to do. <coughs> He's an Emmy winning editor. And then, <coughs> Emmy. So I'm just an Emmy winning editor. <laughs> and so I, when I'm writing a movie, I'm already pre-editing it in my head. Um, and I, I need to understand what those cuts are before I shoot the movie. So I storyboard the hell out of it. I, it's basically a pre-edit. It's a pre-visualization. In fact, with, with jump seat, I'm planning on taking all my storyboards and doing kind of like a pre-production animatic just with the storyboards and some voiceover and, or not voiceover with actors and stuff like that, reading the lines just to kind of get a like feel table, for the table movie. reads, like a table read. Yeah, yeah. I'm planning on doing a table read and then using that uh, with the storyboards to basically do a little pre-edit of the movie that works well for me. It just, so it's so I understand what it is that I want to see and that I can break down my shots from, I may have like a lot of crazy shots and storyboards and then I'm like, okay, I could probably, you know, we'll have six setups for this one conversation. So I'm like, okay, I don't need all of those. Maybe trim it down. And then I can extrapolate my main angles from that, you know, a few bits of coverage or pickups or whatever that I want to do from that as well. Right. And then as a DP, I come in and in pre-production and then we talk about, what is the most effective way to get the angle? Obviously, you've already cut out all of the extra shots. Right. But there's going to be these special shots where an action needs to be evoked, right? Or, right. or, or something to, needs Or you need to get like an extreme close-up of something they're holding or, right. or their, their eyes or whatever. Or even like to the to a lighting setup, like the, oh, la yeah, the yeah. last shot of mm -hmm. paper cutter, like, hey, I want blue light over on this side of his face and I want right. warm light over here to reflect like moonlight versus warm light from the right. street. So there's all these little factors that after you've done that job, mm -hmm. Then you and I sat down in pre-production. This is all before production, obviously. Right. It's really important that you and I sit down. Even the AC needs to know what's going on, so he totally. doesn't show up on production day and is, think he's pulling focus all day. And communication is all important. Yeah, and prep. The prep work in communication is is extremely important. I think most people would know that, but it really is important to point out on the short film because again, it's, it's really where you can spend your best time. Yep. The dollar. Like, the dollar is very expensive on the short film. You'll never go wrong by spending a lot of time in pre-production. All that will do is point out potential problems you have and and give you time to solve them instead of trying to solve them on the fly on set, which is yeah. also a thing that needs to be done though. Unfortunately. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah. And then once you've done that, I'll just use that story to create the camera movement once you've nailed the story down. Right. So it's like a really cohesive, like in order type of thing. Totally. <laughs> if you've done a pre-edit, like a storyboard, you'll figure out whether or not you'll end up at some crappy pinch point in editing where all you have to cut between for this one particular exchange or whatever is two wide shots of the same thing that are barely different. It's very jump cutting. And then suddenly you're like, oh no. I'm totally screwed. And so doing, doing the storyboards and pre-editing it and, and working with the DP eventually through all that process, you will find out if you have those kinds of issues. Yeah. You and, almost, almost guarantee you. And will. I, and I know ways to prevent that prior to production day to where when they, when you get into the editing room and you are limited with your shots, we've already solved that issue. Right. So when right. you're looking out at that shot list and if it's in order of shots, then that needs to say, you know, tight, medium, wide, you know, close up, medium, wide, right. close up, medium, wide, not necessarily right. in that order, but they can jump around extra wide, extra close up. Right. Right. If it's in story order, especially, you don't want them to say close up, close up, close up, close up. Close right. Up. That's going to feel real weird. It's unless it's unless weird. it's specific to a scene and we're trying to do something yeah. um, like, special, like if it's it'll a, be noticed. If it's a montage of close ups, that right. would make sense. But if it's a close up of the same person's yeah. eyes yeah. 10 times in a row. Well, think <laughs> of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Okay. A close up. I'm thinking about it. Okay. Keep mm -hmm. thinking. Yeah, it's kind of bloody. Interesting. Black and white. If you look at that scene, 
the scene that everyone knows, you don't even have to see the movie and you know right. that scene. When he goes into the shower, Norman does, our, and he's dressed up as the girl. Right. As and his mom. As yeah. his mom. And he's stabbing, 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 stabbing. Old Janet Lee. Old Janet Lee. Bless her. Jamie Lee Curtis's Jamie mother. Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Yep, her and uh, Tony Curtis. Again, very Jamie vulnerable. Curtis. Very yep. Both vulnerable women in, right. in the horror genre. But anyways, back to what I was talking about. Close-ups, close-ups, close-ups. Right. And it's... Back and forth, back and forth, knife stabbing, blood in the water. Right, and it, and it, right. it does it like 55 times. Yeah. If you look at the cutaways and there's like 55 close-ups in a row. And what he did was, he, I think he made it last for like, what, three minutes or two and a half minutes. It was a, yeah. It so it felt very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I guess the point of that is I said earlier, you shouldn't have that on a shot list if it's in... Uh, you know, and order, this is a very specific order. vision sort of thing. Like this yes. is what we're doing to make yep. this, this thing. And happen. obviously it worked because right. it's a little disconnecting from what feels normal mm -hmm. and it makes you feel uncomfortable. And that's why it's done. And for early sixties audiences, that was yeah. really shocking. Yeah. And it's like a Quentin Tarantino jump cut that he does on purpose. Oh yeah. yeah You're yeah. just like, what the hell is that? Yeah. It's, it's, style. it's just to do it. It's style. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's a, uh, as a director and as a DP, you start developing those styles over time. Right. Right. So I've told you kind of my top couple of things that I think you absolutely do need to do, but just as important are things that you should not do. And my, I think my biggest do not, there's a lot of, a lot of them, but I think my biggest one is do not neglect your actors, mm -hmm. which seems, I mean, it seems kind of like a no brainer, right? But it's really easy. Uh, especially in a director's role, especially in a director's role. But that's the thing is there's directors that kind of come in all shapes and sizes. We have, there's a lot of directors Love George Lucas, right? But as a director, he's more of a technical director, right? Sure. There's lots of stories about him on set, kind of like the only direction that he gives is like, you know, faster and uh, more uh, intense. He's That's pretty a, bland. He's pretty bland. So he doesn't really work with actors well. Mm -hmm. um, there's other directors that pretty much ignore all the technical stuff and only work with the actors. Right. You know, and so, I mean, I, I think I, I'd like to fall a little more in the middle of that, but it is easy if you're a very technical director to start ignoring your actors. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Again, it's, you know, making something cohesive. If they don't understand something about the actor that they're, or about the character that they're portraying, um, it'll come out, you know, not like you want it to, it'll mm -hmm. come out, you know, disjointed if it's really at odds with how one of the other characters is acting. So you need to be able to, you need to communicate with them and let them know. But before even that, before being on set, doing a rehearsal or a table read is a really big deal. And the reason I say do not, not do that is because I didn't do that on paper cutter. I wasn't able to get a rehearsal in things kind of came down to a pinch and I think things turned out okay, but it was a lot more having to think about it on set on the fly right. and talking about it. Whereas it would have been again, using that time in pre-production so much more valuable. I could see that. Don't, don't waste time on set. And we ended up having to like cut some shots because things took a little yeah, bit longer on set. And that's one of the, one of the reasons. And so getting a rehearsal or a table read beforehand, uh, super important. And also that gets you a, a little more of a personal relationship with your actors, which right. I think is really important. Uh, Dele, he and I ended up having a really good rapport, but a lot of the other actors, I didn't have a ton of time to talk to them before we shot. And that's main character versus extras. Versus, or even just secondary characters. Secondary. Supporting, supporting characters. Supporting yeah. actors. Um, and so I think it's really important. And it, it makes having a good relationship between the director and the actors uh, just, just goes a long way as far as, you know, making a good set and making a better movie. If you get along well and you have a good relationship, you can talk through stuff on set or you can talk through stuff before and like kind of work out the story together right. instead of you telling 
them what to do. And if they don't know you very well, they're like, who's this guy? Like, I don't, he's stupid. I don't know what he's doing. Whoa. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> I'm sure nobody says that about, yeah. about me, I, right? Yeah. Maybe one person <laughs> maybe. or two, at least. Maybe. We'll have to go back and watch the behind the scenes. Yeah, footage. that's right. Um, no, let me ask you something as yeah. a director and I don't want to get too off track sure. here, but I think it falls under the same line. What are your thoughts about maybe like the show, like the Mandalorian on Disney plus mm-hmm. where each episode has a different director? What is your, I, obviously those, all of those directors have to get with John Favreau as the right. producer and do some roundtables on this character development because they all direct differently. That's right. the point of having them. Right. But each episode is very seamless. Right. What are your thoughts in that process? Like very briefly. I, I think it's super cool because so while, you know, each episode has its own director, the show kind of has its own director in John Favreau, right? The showrunner. Right. So he's the one that's setting the tone and the feel and the style. He's put that in place and, and, uh, watching the, the behind the scenes, uh, doc they did, I forget what that was called. The it's, gallery, uh, the gallery, the yeah. gallery. Um, there's they showed a lot of scenes of them kind of like all the directors and John Favreau kind of working through stuff. And so they, I'm sure they must've come to an agreement about what well, this is what we want it to look like and feel like, which, uh, when you want to do a, a show like that, where you have different directors and even some slightly different styles, like with Taika Waititi's who's, who's so styles a little funny. That was actually my favorite. That's a great episode. It's it's cool because he knows what bounds he needs to stay within while allowing him to and, and possibly having stuff set up in earlier episodes that allowed him to kind of do some of the funnier stuff that he did. So I think it's super cool, especially in terms of a TV show. Yeah, I, just, I think it's pretty Yeah, cool. I just wanted to get your feel on that because yeah. that was something that was introduced fairly new. I know that TV shows have been doing that, but right. they made it very apparent and um, yeah. kind of... Well, they, they, I mean, they had some big, some big directors that have really have their own sure. like, big styles. Yeah, so, exactly. So they need, I'm sure they needed to like make sure to, to rein that in and address that. And they did a, they did a really good job. I mean, Fa- John Favreau's awesome. Incredible. Yeah, incredible from the jungle book to the lion king just to john favreau acting in like yeah. four christmases <laughs> just the, <laughs> so funny man right well vince Vaughn's brother he's beating him up good stuff <laughs> um so i have two don'ts really quick uh, you said don't neglect your actors right or actresses and i'm gonna put don't neglect the story over the visuals so um true. they're equally as important the story relies on the visuals the visuals rely on the story right back and forth so Make sure that you understand the story completely. I'll be very honest. When we first started doing the shot list for Pendleton Road, I was like, this seems kind of like a dead end. Like, I don't know if I know the story well enough. Right, right. Like, I don't understand her well enough yet. Right. right? So I had to keep reading the script in order to understand her. I had to read the script 25 times just to right. be like, okay, this chick is... She's quiet. She's a little, she's scared. She's a little nerdy. I had to get into her, she's nerdy. I had to get into her head a little bit. She's obviously got some other issues. I had to really dive deep in order to make the visuals feel appealing and right. they, and they complemented each other. Right. And, and that's interesting since Dave directed that. So I wrote the script and I wasn't with you guys when you're doing storyboards or any of that. So right. it became my script filtered through Dave into you. So Dave kind of took what it was and cause you know, it, it, it came out actually, even though the story is the same, a lot different than I saw it in my head. So if I directed it, it would kind of look and felt a little different. So seeing it filtered through what Dave wanted to do, which Mm -hmm. he did an incredible job, by the way, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that that mine would have been better. His is amazing. Having it filtered through him to you and then him telling you, what he wanted to see out of the characters and stuff. It's super interesting. He did an amazing job working with Sasha on that, but he also really kept me in line because that was kind of my first short film as like a full DP where I had been camera assistant or camera two or right. we kind of taken turns with shots. Like I would do specialty shots with the Ronin and someone else would just you right. know, be on the tripod for other stuff. So it turned out like you wanted. 
Yeah. Oh, totally. No, okay. I'm super, super. Like I said, I, it looked and felt different in my Just head different. to me. Um, but then seeing what came out of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love it. Something that's cool about Dave and this kind of leads into my, my last do not also cool. is I'm a very process driven person. Like I want to do things in this certain way. Dave is really good at at pivoting and uh, doing stuff on the fly when something's not working. And so my, my, my last do not is do not be afraid to pivot because I can be sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's, I, you did, we had to sit down and paper cutter when we, had we were to sit pivoting. Down, yeah. For, in paper cutter. It took like we, 20 minutes of mental prep. Yeah. The, the first shot of the movie ended up taking the first half of the day, which was not planned. And so it put us behind and we had a lot of shots that day. So put us behind. So at a certain point we got, I think we got into like midway through the afternoon and me, you, and Dave kind of had to like stop for a minute and go to the shot list in the book and say, okay, what do we need to get rid of? What can we get rid of? Because we have to get rid of some shots in order to make the day. And we still ended up going super long that day. So if we tried to keep those shots, we would have been you know another like few hours after that. And so being able to pivot can really and, and say, look, this isn't working, whether it's because things are going too long or whether it's because things are, aren't working, being able to pivot and saying, look, Sometimes shit just doesn't work and figuring out how to make it work can save your movie. Cause if you're stubborn and you say, this isn't working, but I want it to work. So we're going to make it work and we're going to do it until it works. That's going to reflect in the story. It's going to reflect in the story. It's going to reflect in the production. You're going to end up losing stuff at the end that you didn't want to lose instead of picking stuff earlier that you're like, it's okay to lose this. Yeah. And so the, yeah, it, it can be, it can be a movie killer for sure. If you're not flexible about it. Yeah. The theme I'm picking up here is pre-production. Um, we've said this before. Pre-production, pre-production, pre-production. Production's yeah, your best friend. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just part of the process. And again, just taking extra time, whether you're even to pre-production within writing your story, just taking right. the extra time to, to really develop the story and the characters is, is extremely important. Right. Yeah. And, and the last thing I want to say about it is look at what you think are going to be difficult. You know, what your difficult shots are going to be, you know, what your difficult moments are going to be to get on, on video or film or whatever, come up with some backup ideas beforehand. Cause you know, they're going to be difficult and hopefully your initial plan will work out, but there's a possibility that it won't. And so instead of having, having it fail on set and not having a backup plan and trying to come up with one there, cause you're going to need one. If you already have a potential, you know, you want to do this crazy upside down swing around shot, but you know, your backup is just doing a normal OTS and master shot. It's not the greatest, but at least you'll get your shot. You'll make your time. You'll as make well. your time. You'll make your day. Yeah. I, yeah. I've had to really pivot and learn how to do that. And, and whether there is a special shot coming up in that day, I got there two hours early to build the track on the ceiling so we could get that slider shot in Pendleton Road. Yeah, little things like that. Just right. little specialty shots. Just knowing what you're going to need to spend a little extra time on. Yeah. To, to that way you, that way you could prevent having to pivot. That's right. That's right. And that was fun. I that mean, cool. honestly, we could have talked for hours about that. I mean, right, there's a million of them, right? I'm sure you guys have a ton of them. And I'd be very curious to hear what all of your do's and don'ts might be. I'm sure every one of you has done different things on set. Yeah. And, and just in production in general, they don't have to yeah. be on a short film. Yeah, they don't have to be on a short film. But what are your do's and don'ts? You know, email us, hit the contact button. We'll give you all that information. But we would really like to hear... Um, everybody else's advice on this. Yeah. In the description of the episode, you'll have a link there. Please send us your email. Let us know uh, some do's and don'ts on your end. And we'd love to maybe talk about those in a future episode. Absolutely. Obviously would love for you to rate us five stars on iTunes. That helps us out drastically. Yeah. You can leave a little review there. It's fun. Oh, a little typey type. You. That Thanks was, for leaving that review, that was guys. nice. Yeah. Also give us a follow on Spotify. If yeah. you're listening from there, we have links in the description from Lytra and Epidemic Sound with they're, some discounts. Yeah. They're great deals. Why wouldn't you want a deal? I don't know. Smash that deal button. We have a very special guest coming up in two weeks we're very excited can't wait to uh, show you guys and can't wait to yep. do another one thanks so much for listening we will see you guys soon and stay safe out bye there. everybody